Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Yeah, so welcome again, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. I want to introduce Venerable Tenzin Chogi. We're so happy to have you. <laughs> um, as many of you know, Venerable is very dear to me. She's uh, been a very special person and, and teacher. And um, I'm sure for thousands of her students, <laughs> they feel the same. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> There are tens of thousands of students. Oh God! Go. Um, but yeah, in 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 all seriousness, she's just an amazing being, an amazing practitioner. You know, she's been you know on the path since the '70s. Um, an incredible um, has had an incredible commitment uh, in the in the '90s, in the early '90s. I believe it was 1991. She spent a year in India and in Nepal. And then spent most of the 90s uh, working um, at meditation retreat centers, you know, Buddhist retreat centers, and then spent um, in the early 2000s, about six years, dedicating herself to to long retreats and becoming ordained uh, by the Dalai Lama, by His Holiness in in 2004 um, as a Tibetan Buddhist nun and has been teaching um, since 2006, ever since then, after getting out of longer retreats. And so thank you so much for, for coming, Venable. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for inviting me, Casey, and it's great to be with you. And I think I've met some of you. I see some faces that look familiar. We were just talking about um, when Casey got his Dharma transmission ceremony, with Trudy and Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield. And that was the summer of 2017. And so I think some of you were there, some familiar looking faces. I know that's where I met Don. So nice to see you again. Um, our, our kind of format for today's talk is gonna be a little bit different. I know you generally start with some sitting and then have a Dharma talk and then some discussion, but we're gonna flip it around a little bit because before we do the meditation, I'd like to introduce you a little bit to the topic in case it's something new or this style of meditation, which comes from the Tibetan tradition might be a little different and a little bit new for you. And then we'll do the practice. Then you have an opportunity to go into breakout rooms for about 10 minutes and maybe share a little bit about what came up in the practice. And then we'll all be together again for reflections, questions, discussion about the practice. So a little bit of a different format. But what I wanna do before we launch into the topic is just kind of arrive the way that you usually do by sitting and watching the breath for a few moments and setting your intention. So if you just get in a comfortable yet relaxed posture for just a moment, settling into your body, checking, Maybe do a body scan to see if there's any tightness or tension and just releasing any tension on the out breath. And just settling in using 
your body and the experience of your body to kind of arrive in this moment in the space where you're sitting. And then let's round off this initial settling of the body with three deep diaphragmatic breaths. So breathing all the way into the diaphragm. And exhaling, so really deep breath. We say that this activates the soothing emotional regulation system of the body and really helps us settle in. And then after those three deep breaths, just breathing naturally and taking a few moments using the physical sensations of the breath in the body to fully and deeply arrive in this space. You might like to focus on one area of the body, perhaps the diaphragm. Maybe you can feel the sensations of the breath most clearly in the chest. There's a subtle sensation around the nostrils that might be useful. So focusing on one of these areas or just the full body awareness of breathing for a few moments. And as you're sitting here, orienting to your body in this space, in this moment, you might like to bring to mind the original inhabitants of the place where you're sitting. For myself, I'm in the Santa Cruz area, which is the unceded occupied territory of the Awaswas Ohlone people, <clears throat> the survivors of Colonialism are now known as the Amamutsen tribal band. You may know whose territory you're occupying and bring that to mind as we enter this space. And then taking a moment to set our motivation, just bring to mind your intention for coming to our session this morning. It might be to deepen your practice, to explore new ways of practicing, maybe to connect with community if you're a regular attendee of this space, whatever it is, just taking a moment to reflect. We say by setting our intention for our time together, we get the most out of our session, we're able to focus our energy.
Thank you. So what I wanted to talk about today in kind of conversation with Casey before this session um, is a practice that comes from a teaching that's found in all Buddhist traditions. Uh, in the Tibetan tradition, we talk about the four immeasurables. In the Theravadan tradition, it's usually referred to as the four Brahma Viharas. And some of you might be familiar with these practices. It's four practices that interrelate in a really interesting way and kind of support each other. And the four are equanimity, loving kindness, compassion, and empathetic joy is the framing that I like to use for the fourth one, empathetic joy. So these are practices some of you might be familiar with. I know in the Theravadan and insight tradition, there's a lot of emphasis put on metta practice. So some of you may have a lot of experience with metta or loving kindness practice. So what I wanted to do today is focus on a different practice that isn't exactly the same, and that's compassion practice, another one of the four measurables or the four Brahma Viharas. Sometimes in you know, I think normal English usage, sometimes people will use kindness and compassion kind of interchangeably, or even like loving kindness and compassion interchangeably. Although loving kindness is really kind of a Buddhist word. I don't think ordinary people talk about loving kindness. Maybe they do, I'm not sure. But kindness and compassion. But we really distinguish these two qualities in Buddhist framing, we say loving kindness or metta, maitri is the Sanskrit word, is the wish for beings to have happiness, to thrive. We have kind of a positive vision for flourishing, thriving happiness for others, right? So in metta practice, we're kind of sending them that may you be well, may you be happy. Sometimes we use these phrases when we do that kind of metta practice. It's a kind of a positive vision of flourishing and thriving for the person. And compassion, we're going to look at, at a pretty specific definition of compassion in general, though, is an attunement to the suffering or distress and the wish to remove the suffering. So that's the difference in Buddhist terminology between loving kindness or metta and then compassion or karuna is usually the, the word both in Pali and Sanskrit for compassion practice. So this is a practice really emphasized in the Tibetan tradition. And when I first got, Casey mentioned 1991, I went to India to meet the Dalai Lama, like naively just thinking, oh, you know, my life is kind of a train wreck right now. And there's all this stuff going on. And I really need a teacher. Oh, the Dalai Lama, he, he's pretty good. I'll just go for the top, you know, and just fly to India with a one-way ticket to meet him. And we'll just hang out and sort everything out. Well, it didn't quite work like that. It sort of did in the long run, but not exactly quite work out like that. But when I started studying the Tibetan tradition after decades of already being a meditator, I one of the things that really attracted me the most was this emphasis on compassion practices. And I've made that kind of a core of my teaching. And a few years ago, I did a teacher training for uh modality that some of you might have heard of developed at Stanford University at the request of the Dalai Lama called Compassion Cultivation Training. So it was a way of taking 
the Buddhist contemplative training of compassion and presenting it in a very secular way that would appeal to everybody, whether they were interested in Buddhism or not. And that was kind of the idea that the Dalai Lama had. It was like, hey, if only Buddhists are going to be doing compassion training, wow, that's pretty, no, we all need this, like super, especially nowadays, we all need this. So I actually did the eight-week compassion cultivation training at Stanford University. Uh, what was it? It was the it was the men's school, like in a classroom in the men's school with all these people in suit and ties and high heels and pantyhose and business people, which is not usually who I hang out with and hippies, Santa Cruz, but that was my experience. And then the teacher was like, you're a Buddhist monastic. You've been doing this stuff for decades. Like, what are you even doing here? And I said, no, I want to learn how to do this in a way you know, that appeals to everybody that is not kind of the framing of Buddhism. And I learned a lot and ended up doing the teacher training. So that's one of the things that I teach. So what I want to share with you now and just unpack a little bit before we practice, because I think it'll really help understand, is the definition, a very nuanced definition of compassion that we use in that compassion cultivation training and it comes from a research paper that was co-authored by the Dalai Lama's main English translator, Tupten Jimpa, this amazing ex-Tibetan monk who ended up like studying philosophy at Oxford or something like that, who's just like a complete genius. And so he broke down the definition of compassion into these four components that I think is really helpful for us in understanding the nuance of everything compassion is. So I'm going to share my screen and show you guys that definition and we'll we'll talk about it for a second. So this is the definition of compassion, this sort of nuanced definition by Dr. Tupten Jimpa Langri, who's the Dalai Lama's translator. And so the first aspect, compassion involves an awareness of suffering a cognitive component. Sometimes we call this cognitive empathy. Sometimes when we talk about empathy, we talk about two facets or two aspects of empathy. And we say that empathy is a prerequisite to compassion. Like empathy leads us to compassion. Sometimes empathy leads us in another direction to empathic distress and overwhelm. And that's something in the training we talk about a lot. Sometimes with empathy and connection, instead of being led to a compassionate response, we're led to distress and overwhelm. And we might've all felt that at times, maybe reading the news, or maybe a friend is telling you about what's going on for them. But this awareness of suffering, cognitive component, we can think of this as a perspective taking or putting yourself in the other person's shoes, right? You have that awareness of what's going on with the other person. I just att attended a talk yesterday that was all about the relationship between mindfulness and empathy. So this is where our mindfulness practice really comes to, you know, comes to bear on this awareness of suffering without a mindfulness, without that awareness, we don't even know what's going on for the other person. And then the second <clears throat> aspect, compassion involves a caring and tender concern related to being emotionally moved by suffering, affective or emotional component. So this is this 
Empathic resonance is sometimes the word that I use. And we have that even when you don't have an understanding of what's going on for the other person. As human beings, especially, we, we have this empathic connection with others, not only of our species, but also animals when you see them suffering, right? But especially for each other, because we have this incredibly nuanced way of expressing and reading facial expressions of emotion. So you can see someone sitting in a cafe with an expression on their face of sadness. You have no idea what's going on, but you resonate with that sadness of that person or you can and just think, oh, I, oh, poor thing, right? Because you see that facial expression. The cognitive component is also trying to understand what's going on for them having an awareness, but this is just that, that affective component of that empathic resonance. And then we go on with the definition, compassion includes a genuine wish to see the relief of that suffering and more specifically a modification of the causes and conditions that give rise to suffering. So an intentional component, you want that suffering to cease for that person. It's just that wish, that sort of, you know, because of that connection and because of that awareness, compassion is the wish to see the relief of that suffering. And when we talk about compassion in Buddhist terminology, it's usually this third, you know, point that we talk about when we talk about kind of the short definition of compassion. We say it's a wish to see relief of suffering. Compassion includes a response responsiveness or readiness to take action in some way. So a motivation for altruistic behavior. Now, can you do anything to relieve the suffering? Is it appropriate? Is it the right time? Is it wise? These are all big questions, right? Sometimes there's nothing you can do really practically to relieve the suffering. Sometimes it's not the right time. Sometimes you're not the right person. So whether you can actually do something or not, so you can have fully qualified compassion with all four of these components and not necessarily do anything, right? Because, because you know, many, many factors, right? That enter into the decision to do something or not. So this is compassion. I'm going to stop sharing the screen and then I'm going to share another slide for a minute. So this is, as you can see, kind of a nuanced definition of what compassion is. Now in the class that I teach, we talk about compassion cultivation because we say we all have it. We all have this. Often it might be restricted to our friends and family and loved ones. We all have that. I mean, almost everyone, of course, there are people who completely lack empathy, you know, tiny proportion, I think less than 1%, but mostly as human beings, we totally have compassion. And so the ask in both Buddhist practice and the secular training is, how do we cultivate that compassion towards people who might not necessarily be the natural recipients of our compassion, right? As human beings, we have loving kindness and compassion. We care for our friends and family. So the, the goal of Buddhist practice is expanding those circles of compassion more and more and more outward 
to include first the people who aren't super close to us, then maybe the strangers, the people that we usually respond with indifference. And this is how it relates to equanimity, overcoming our, our partiality. As people we don't know, we're not usually thinking about their happiness and their suffering. They're like, whatever, the guy in the grocery store, who cares, the person in the cafe, they're nice, whatever, right? So expanding that compassion and then even trying to expand to the difficult people in our lives, trying to have compassion even for difficult people, right? Starting very, very gradually, it's a training. And I think sometimes people make the mistake with this training of going, oh, okay, I'm a Buddhist now. I'm going to expand my compassion. And then you go to the hardest case, a 10 on a scale of one to 10 of difficulty. And then you're like, oh, I can't even forget it. Okay, this practice doesn't work. So I want to share another slide, which I use. You can apply this kind of visual to just about everything. I just love this, this visual so much. It was developed for educational settings. It works for your meditation practice. It works for your compassion training. It basically works for everything. So we say, if we stay in the comfort zone, so relating to compassion training, the comfort zone would be friends and family, right? People you're already close to, people you're already connected to, Little learning, very little cultivation of compassion if you just stay there. The stretch zone, sometimes this is called the growth zone. Okay, maybe you're thinking about the strangers. Maybe you're thinking about, you know, the people that are not right in your inner circle of people you naturally feel compassion and loving kindness to. So you're trying to challenge yourself here, right? Maybe even the slightly annoying coworker would be in this category of a stretch. Maybe somebody who's like a two or three on a one to 10 scale, right? But be careful, this red zone, sometimes we call this the overwhelm zone, because some people go right there. They're like, oh, compassion for the former president. Sorry, not to get political, but a lot of people in the last four years have found that challenging or any political figure. Or somebody who broke your heart, somebody who really betrayed you, somebody that was really difficult. This would be more eight, nine, 10 on a one to 10 scale. At the very beginning of practice, that's gonna to be too much. Don't go there, be very careful about that. Try to like titrate your practice to stay in the growth zone or the stretch zone. Now, sometimes we might find we pick somebody who's more challenging than we thought, and it sends us maybe here, right, to that edge, go back to the comfort zone. You modulate your own practice and we'll do this together. So I'll show you how to do it. Go back to the comfort zone, go back to thinking about a loved one, get that felt sense of compassion again, right? This is how we titrate our practice and we might make mistakes. We not, might not be challenging ourselves enough. We might be kind of hanging out here. We might be challenging ourselves by thinking of people who are really difficult before we're ready. Because the compassion training, it's kind of like a muscle or something. Like when you go to the gym to work out, not that I ever do that, but I've heard about it, right? Like you add weights gradually as your strength builds up, right? You don't start bench pressing 350 pounds like your first day at the gym. That's a way to get injured and give up. 
And it's the same with compassion training. If we pile on too many weights from the very beginning, you'll get discouraged because you'll be triggered to all of those difficult feelings with the person. And you'll be like, I'm not even nice, much less loving kindness and compassion. I'm like, just angry right now. Like this isn't working. And you'll be so discouraged. But I tell you with practice, and I'm talking weeks, months, years, I had a situation, you know, and there's always kind of the one person like the nemesis. And I had a nemesis. And it's usually somebody you used to be close to. And my just full disclosure was my ex sister-in-law. And so this whole thing happened with my family. And I'm like, in these long retreats, trying to do compassion practice. And I think I'm doing so great. And then always she was like the outer red zone for me of like, she's way out there. It's so hard because it just kind of broke my heart and led to this whole situation in my family. And literally I would try for years. And every time I got to this person, I'd feel a brick wall go up of just like nothing. I'm not, the energy is not moving at all with this person, but I trusted the practice. I really trusted the practice. I trusted just like you trust when you go to the gym every day and lift weights. And one day I had a breakthrough and it was amazing on my cushion after literally years of practice, I had a breakthrough. And then suddenly I just saw everything from her perspective. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been so self-absorbed about this whole situation. I can't believe it had this total flood. It was like a physical sensation of love and connection. I'm in a hermitage in central California, like totally off the radar. She had broken up with my brother. I don't think my brother even knew where I was. The next week I got a letter from her after 16 years apologizing to me for this thing. And I was just like, are you kidding? And after the retreat, I got in touch with her and I was like, how did you even find me? And like, what was that? I mean, the minute it shifted for me, I'm from Santa Cruz, California, so I'm allowed to talk about vibes. So I think it's true that this stuff has an energy that communicates even to the other person that you're holding in your compassionate field, right? Even if you're not communicating, this is a great way to heal relationships, even when people have passed away, you know, even with people you have no connection with, or maybe it's not safe for you to connect with them, but doing this practice can be amazing. And so what I, I want to stop for a minute and see if there's questions. And then what I'm going to do is guide you through a practice where we'll first start the way the practice works. You start by thinking of a loved one, because then you get that felt sense. You generate that felt sense from the person for whom it's really easy. There's no work of stretching involved. That's the comfort zone, the green zone, right? You think of a loved one, and then sometimes people will feel like a physical sensation in their heart, like warmth or just some openness or just some feeling of connection. And then the way the practice works, then you try to kind of go out with the concentric circles a little bit into the stretch zone or into the growth zone. What we'll do here, I'll invite you to think about maybe a stranger, somebody specific that you see, you know, in a cafe or at the grocery store, or maybe a coworker that you don't know very well that you're not close to. And then a difficult person, but again, not a 10 on the one to 10 scale, maybe a two or three, just somebody you find annoying, somebody you find irritating. We all have those. 
right? And see how it goes. And I'll invite you at any point where you feel like the prompt is taking you into the overwhelm zone, into the red zone, just go back to the loved one or just settle with your breath, right? This is, you know, for some of you might be a brand new practice. And I really urge you not to push too hard because it's, it's a way to get really discouraged with the practice. Okay. So we want to pause there. And before we meditate, just see if there's any questions or comments to clarify anything about the definition. I'll guide you through the practice with prompts. So don't have to remember all that I just said. I'll be actually prompting you throughout. But any questions before we continue? Yes, Ali. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, very interesting. I was just going to ask you if you could uh, clarify, like, uh, how can we know we are at the edge, and then we want to not to go too far in. How do we know we're ready to move to the next circle, either the growth or the challenging situation? Yeah. And as I was forming that question, I thought perhaps the equanimity is important. So I was just wondering. Uh, for me to develop some equanimity before I just jump into the compassion part. So I was just wondering if you could unpack that, please. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Ali, for the question. It's really important. And for me, it's really attuning to the felt sense in the body. Like my body, that somatic component, like when I prompt you in the meditation to think about the loved one, I'll invite you to really feel what that feels like in your body. I mean, there's an openness, like we use these, these phrases in English, like open-hearted, warm-hearted, you know, and that's actually literally physically what it feels like. So when you're starting to feel that somatic response, even to the stranger, for example, you know that you can go a little farther with the practice, right? When you, for me, the overwhelm is literally, I feel shut down, like closed hearted, you know, shut down. It's almost attuning to how it feels in my body, because it's easy for me. And this is one of the things I've really learned through years of practice. It's easy for me to try to override by like, I should be open to this person, like, come on, be compassionate. And then I just can't, and then I go into the red, right? So if I really try and attune to my somatic response, that's what shows me. And if I've been practicing with the same stranger for a while, and then sometimes you'll even notice, like you'll pick somebody from your life. I did this one time with some guy who worked in the health food store or whatever. And then I remember one day walking to the health food store and seeing him and going, oh, that's my stranger. And my heart like, oh, my stranger. And then I was like, okay, time to pick a new stranger. <laughs> like, right? like, oh, my stranger, you know. So sometimes you'll find even with the people that you've picked, you'll feel a shift when you're with them. So that's another way of knowing, you know, because in the practice, it's you don't just think of the generic category stranger, like you really do pick somebody in your life. And I've noticed that like with practice, I'll notice that shift or even with my ex-sister-in-law, like it, I, she wasn't around, but all of a sudden it was like this gushing open of my heart that had like been, like I said, a brick wall. So I think noticing, I mean, that's, that's what works for me most is just noticing almost the somatic response. Yeah. 
Good question, Ali. Thank you. Anybody else before we do the practice? Don't be shy. All right, maybe there'll be some more questions after you have a chance to practice. So we'll be practicing for about 15 minutes or so. I'll guide you through with prompts. And so the way this practice will go, I'll just invite you to think about, you know, these different people in our lives to really reflect on your relationships with them. And then I'll pause and just keep thinking about the prompt in between the pause. And then I'll prompt you with another, another um, piece of the meditation. And then after we do the practice, we'll have an opportunity to go into small groups. I think I'll put you in groups of three to just discuss a little bit what came up in the small groups. And I'll remind you before we go into the small groups, we're going to have confidentiality in the small groups. So whatever's shared in the small group just stays in the small group. And then when we come back for the discussion, just sharing from your own experience, but you'll have a chance to debrief after the practice. So getting into your meditation posture again, whatever I know, you know, we've been meditating a lot on Zoom, which probably means we're not sitting in the chair that we would be happy to sit in ordinarily when we practice, but we're doing our best with the zoom reverse we find ourselves in. But whatever chair you're in, just trying to get that comfortable yet relaxed posture, keeping your back straight, keeping your shoulders even. You put your tongue on the roof of your mouth right behind your teeth that keeps you from having to swallow constantly and your eyes can either be closed or in a hooded gaze, your hands either resting on your knees or resting in your lap. And then beginning again by just checking through your body and maybe we'll do a body scan starting at the crown of the head and moving your awareness down through your body. Relaxing the muscles around your eyes. We often hold some tension there, our forehead and our eyes. Relaxing your jaw. Relaxing your neck and shoulders. Relaxing down through your torso, getting that nice upright posture, but your body relaxed around it, relaxing your belly, your buttocks. All the way down to your feet. And then again, rounding off that initial settling of the body with the three deep diaphragmatic breaths, breathing all the way down to the diaphragm, exhaling completely.
And then just settling the mind with the ordinary respiration for a few moments before we start with a guided meditation. So just focusing on the sensations of the breath in the body. And now I'd like to invite you to bring to mind someone for whom you feel a great amount of love and tenderness and care. And you might like to visualize this person seated in front of you, get a visual image of that person seated in front of you, facing you. Or if it's hard to get a visual image, you can just imagine the person there and get a felt sense of their presence. So taking a moment, picking somebody very specific from your life, not just the generic category of loved one or friend, but somebody specific in your life. Imagining them there, getting that felt sense of their presence with you. And as you bring that person to mind, notice what you might feel in your body if you have a feeling of tenderness, of warmth. This person might bring that feeling of open-heartedness, maybe even a physical sensation of warmth in your heart or just a relaxation in your body, just noticing. And then with this person in mind, think of a time when this person was maybe going through a difficult experience and you might be able to draw from memory if it's someone you've known for a while of a time they were going through some kind of hard time. And as you think of this difficult experience the person went through, you might feel a sense of concern and care. And notice if there's any wish to remove the suffering, maybe an urge to reach out, perhaps do something to help ease the pain, ease the difficulty. 
And then tuning in to that feeling of care and tenderness and that wish to relieve the suffering of your dear friend. Recite the following phrases to yourself. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you find peace and joy. Just really feeling with all of your heart the wish that your loved one achieves happiness and freedom from suffering. So for, for a few moments, just reciting the phrases, may you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you find peace and joy. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you find peace and joy. And now you can allow the visualization of that loved one to dissolve back into the space of your mind. And now think of someone that you might call a stranger, someone you neither like nor dislike. A specific person from your life though, someone that you see often, but don't have any particular contact with maybe someone at work you don't really know, or someone you see at a cafe or a store, a bus driver. So thinking of a specific person, and again, trying to get a visual image of that person seated in front of you or felt sense of their presence. And as that person becomes clear in your mind, just noticing whatever you feel. And maybe it's not much, maybe it's a feeling of indifference towards this person, just noticing what it feels like when you bring this person to mind. And then thinking that even though you don't know this person well, they're a human being just like you. They seek love and happiness just like you. Just like you, they have dreams and aspirations and hopes and fears. Just like you, they sometimes are disappointed, discouraged. all the same human needs and feelings and 
aspirations. Taking a moment to really tune into that sense of that common humanity. You don't know anything about this person's life, but just knowing because they're a human being, they're just trying to do their best in their life to find happiness, to avoid suffering. For sure, you don't have to know anything about them to know that that's the case. That same common humanity. So really trying to attune to that, thinking just as I don't wish to suffer and aspire towards happiness, so does this person too. One happiness and wants to avoid suffering. And then imagine this person experiencing some kind of suffering, maybe a conflict with a loved one, or maybe deep sadness or loss, maybe struggling with an addiction. It's the human experience we all have, imagining something specific for this person and checking into your heart. After attuning to that common humanity, you might feel some tenderness and concern for this person, maybe even an urge to do something. And then with these sentiments, recite the phrases to yourself again in relation to this person. May you be free from this suffering. May you experience peace and joy with whatever you feel, whatever opening of your heart might be there. Just reciting the phrases for a few moments. May you be free from this suffering. May you experience peace and joy really feeling from your heart the wish that this person is free from that suffering that you've imagined, part of our human experience. May you be free from suffering. May you experience peace and joy. And just noticing as you're re repeating and reciting these phrases to yourself, just notice whether you feel some connection with this person, if you feel some openness. If not, that's fine. But just noticing how you might feel in this moment and how that might compare with the way that you felt when you first brought this person to mind. 
And then allowing the visualization of that person to dissolve back into the space of your mind. And now, if it feels okay, if it doesn't, it's fine. You can go back to the loved one or just stay with the breath. But if you feel to go into the growth zone a little bit more, I'll invite you to bring to mind a person that you find challenging. And again, in the beginning, maybe just somebody who's a two or three on a scale of one to 10, maybe just somebody you find annoying or irritating. Might be a coworker or just a friend of a friend or a relative or somebody in your life. Thinking of a specific person, but again, not the hardest person for you. Don't go all the way out to that red zone. Just someone who's mildly or moderately annoying or irritating. We all have people like that in our lives. Or if it's hard to find somebody in your personal life, maybe a public figure. And visualizing that person seated in front of you or getting a felt sense of their presence. And as you bring this person to mind and visualize them, feel them, just noticing how it feels to bring this person to mind. You might feel some aversions, some closing down, just notice. And then reflecting that even though you dislike this person, even though you might have aversion or negative feelings towards them, this person is an object of concern and affection for someone. They might be a friend or a spouse or a parent to someone. And just like you, this person wishes for happiness, wishes to avoid suffering has hopes and dreams and is sometimes disappointed, discouraged, feels all the emotions that you do, anger, fear, jealousy, happiness, joy. So all of the range of human experience is true for this person as well. There's no difference at all a moment to attune to that common humanity. Thinking, just as I don't wish to suffer, but aspire to happiness, so does this person wish for happiness and wishes to avoid suffering. Letting that thought permeate your mind.
And then imagining this person experiencing some suffering, maybe a conflict with a loved one or some unwanted experience. Maybe they lost someone to COVID. Maybe they lost their job. And allowing your heart to feel some tenderness and some concern for this person as you think of them also having an unwanted experience. See how that feels. And then you can recite the following phrases. May you be free from this suffering. May you experience peace and joy. May you be free from this suffering. May you experience peace and joy. And as you recite these phrases, really noticing how it feels in your heart when you say these phrases, are you feeling some sense of connection to this person? Maybe more of a sense of openness, connection, tenderness. May you be free from suffering. May you experience peace and joy. May you be free from suffering. May you experience peace and joy. And then allowing the visualization of that person to dissolve back into the space of your mind. And finally, bringing yourself to mind. We too, just like the loved one, just like the stranger, just like the difficult person, we're a human being with hopes, aspirations, dreams, joys, sorrow, disappointment, anger, fear, loss, grief, all of the human experience. So sending that same compassion that you've been experiencing with these other three people and taking a moment to send it to yourself. We too, worthy of happiness, wishing for happiness, wishing to avoid even the slightest of sufferings. May I be happy. May I be at peace. May I be free from suffering. May I be happy. May I be at peace. May I be free from suffering. And feeling that same compassionate wish extending to yourself really sincerely wishing yourself the same happiness.
happiness and freedom from suffering that you did to your loved one, may I be happy. May I be free from suffering. May I be at peace. And then just releasing the visualization and returning to the breath for a moment, just feeling whatever feelings there might be alive in your body, whatever sensations are present using the anchor of the breath. Thank you so much for your practice. And so now I'm gonna invite you to go into breakout rooms and share anything you'd like about that experience. Especially, I'd invite you to share if you felt maybe you could relate to those three circle diagram of the comfort zone, the stretch zone, the overwhelm, and how you felt yourself kind of maybe moving through those three circles, if there was a felt sense in your body, the way that I was describing, be interesting to just share, how did you know where you were? And maybe you might've picked a person for one of the categories and then realized, oh, wow, no, that person, you know, is going too far, maybe a little bit too challenging or maybe not challenging enough. So anything that you'd like to share, but especially kind of noticing that felt sense, because as you notice, what we did in the practice was kind of priming ourselves with the loved one to get that felt sense and then just trying to expand it to others. So we'll have, I've decided on 12 minutes, you'll have, most groups will have three people. I think there's two groups that I'll have four. And I'll send a time reminder every four minutes. So if you decide to just go and turn and everybody take turns, you'll know when, or just so that you know how much time you have. And I'll just invite you to, you know, allow enough space for everybody to share. But remembering the confidentiality that when we come back together, not to share what one of your, the people in your group shared. Okay, so off you go. See you in 12 minutes. Let's see, I think we're mostly all back. So what I'd love to do now is invite any reflections or questions, either about the practice or anything about compassion that came up, if you have any, any reflections about the experience so far. Yes. I thank you. I 
I really appreciate the explanation for loving the, the visual. I've seen this visual before, but it really helped me, you know, to see it like a roadmap. It helped me stay more focused. It helped me stay getting to the outer rims of the red zone to be in overwhelm. That's usually where I can be. Yeah. But I found it very um, uh, yeah, helpful. And I so appreciate that because I, I can contain that. I can keep that in my, my mind's eye. Well, thank you very much. Well, good. I'm so glad that that was helpful. I always think, you know, a really good diagram is worth a thousand words of explanation. <laughs> I love that one. And like I said, I think it applies to everything, to developing our meditation practice in all kinds of ways, to, to just all kinds of things. And there's a way in which, for me, it almost gives us permission to, yeah. right? Because sometimes you know, we have an aspiration. I mean, I always joke and say, I'm always comparing myself to like the Dalai Lama, which is not always useful because then I feel like an utter failure most of the time. Go, oh no, but I'm like definitely trying to be in the green zone and the green zone keeps expanding. And that's one of the things about the diagram. It's not static. Like what becomes your comfort zone is more and more and more. And then what comes the growth zone is what used to be super challenging, then becomes just growth. And then maybe when you're the Dalai Lama, it's all the green zone and there's nobody that's overwhelmed, right? So it's sort of like you notice, it's not even like you're moving through this static three circles. You notice the circle stretching and morphing too. So I just find it brilliant in terms of sort of giving myself permission and like I said, just kind of titrating, where am I in that? And if I'm close to the edge and going into red, it sort of gives me permission to just go, wow, no benefit there because I'm just going to max out and give up and think I'm a failure. And we all know, right? So thank you, because I found that super helpful too. I'm really glad it was helpful for you, Julie. I really appreciate it. I've used the circle as I'm a therapist, so I've used it for clients, you know, who's in your inner circle. Yeah. Familiar in a way. But this is so helpful. Thank you so much. Oh, good. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Any other reflections or comments? Yes. What I found, it, it was pretty similar for, for three of them, but then on the um, annoying person. Yeah. Uh, what I found is mainly ambivalence, like because yeah. I've known this person for quite a while, it's not that I dislike her, um, but there were there were things that I could really feel through what she's been through and then other aspects that I found felt very cut off. So mm. in fact of it being clear, just the ambivalence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, you know, and even with someone I'm very close, there are moments that I don't have a lot of empathy. Well, totally. <laughs> so I just uh, thought that was interesting about how how fluid those yes. boundaries are. Absolutely. You know, and it's so funny because I've been teaching this stuff for a long time. And sometimes people will come up after the meditation and go, you know, the friend enemy stranger thing. It was all the same person. Like the, it was one person who was all of that. And I go, yeah, it's like that because human relationships are complicated. When we teach the Stanford Compassion Cultivation Training, sometimes when we talk about the loved one, we talk about picking the appropriate loved one because we say, 
you know, a partner with whom you negotiate household chores or a teenage child may not be the best loved one. I had an experience I was teaching in in uh, the the compassion cultivation training in prison with a group of people experiencing incarceration. And a couple of weeks in, like I'd done the loved one. And then, you know, for a lot of, it was a group of men and for a lot of them, it's their mother, right? Is the person who didn't abandon them when they were incarcerated, keeps calling and sending packages. And one guy was like, I'm really struggling with the loved one. And I'm like, what's going on? He picked his mother, but then he felt in addition to all the love and warmth, all this guilt was triggered because she's aging in Mexico and needs care and he's stuck in prison in California and can't be there. And I was like, wow, that's the difficult loved one for him was not the teenage kid who won't do their laundry, but it's like all of these mixed feelings that came up because of his situation, right? And his aging mother in another country. So yeah, so it's hard. And I think somebody said in the chat something about the dog, because sometimes, the, yeah, yeah. Sometimes the most uncomplicated loved one can be a pet because <laughs> then it's way more straightforward, right? Like sometimes, unless it's a puppy, sometimes that's complicated that you're trying to train, but yeah, yeah, sometimes. So picking the appropriate loved one, because like Jane said, relationships are complicated. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Yes, for the first time I um, felt when I went to the difficult person, I felt their wall, ah. their wall of ah. fear and anger and pain. And I have never experienced that before. Oh, and so that was very, very interesting to kind mm. of get that perspective. And um, uh, there was one other thing I was going to say. Um, oh, when, when my meditation was over or, or the difficult person was over, um, I, I felt this whole visual field of purple, oh. which to me represents healing. Nice. I've, I've done some pranic healing studies and, and green and purple are healing colors. And so when I, when it was over, I, I, I had this flood of purple. And so that, oh, it just gave my heart a very much a sense of relief. So I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much, Bonnie. That's awesome that you had that experience and felt. Yeah. Yeah, And this, it can definitely be a really, really healing practice doing this practice. And like I said, the other person doesn't ever have to know. They might have even passed away, whatever, but like really you know, little by little by little, doing this practice kind of one stage at a time, you really do notice the shift. Like I kind of joked about like the person in the grocery store who suddenly was my beloved stranger, like instead of just being the person I was indifferent to. Another thing I wanted to say too, and then Richard, I see you got your hand up. Sometimes you notice I kind of slipped into the very end of the meditation without really talking about it, oneself, right? In the very, very traditional Buddhist practice that comes from the Tibetan tradition, the self is the most cherished loved one. And the instructions are like, we'll start with yourself because like, of course you have more love and compassion for yourself than you do for anyone else. And we're like, whoa, it's complicated. 
So sometimes the self can be as complicated of a loved one as the snarky teenager, right? That can be really challenging. And we need to put it in there somewhere. So it's interesting to just investigate where is your relationship to compassion to yourself in those three circles, right? Is the self-compassion green zone super easy? Do that all the time. Thank you very much. Is it challenging or is it like you don't have much of it at all? So putting yourself in there, you know, one of the things in the Stanford Compassion Training as I said, the founder is a classically trained Tibetan Buddhist ex-monk. And he said, well, I just started with the self because that's the way I was trained in the Tibetan tradition. Then I realized it was like a brick wall for so many people. So he changed the order. He said, for you guys in the so-called West, like that's complicated. So we need to have a loved one first, an appropriate loved one, and then the self, and then the neutral person, and then the difficult person. So that's where he puts it in. So it's interesting to investigate where you are, but not to skip over your relationship to yourself, right? Just, it may not be the easiest, most natural thing. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. uh, I'm glad that Juliana brought up the graphic and um, I'm literally right between green and red in my life right now because I have started a study program. I'm rec- I've recovered from a long-term illness that has left mm. function challenged at some times and reading is really difficult. Mm. A lot of reading and it's just been um, interesting to experience the uh, what you know, I mean, I've, I've been practicing, fortunately, with the Sangha and leadership mm-hmm. for a while, but it's been um, interesting to watch this because I, I, I read 10 pages and my, I'm just, I'm wiped out. Yeah, yeah, right. I look fine, but it's just like, you know, but anyway, it's just, it's interesting to have this, you know, graphic to, as a um, awareness um support. Oh, good, good. I'm glad it's helpful. And you know, it sounds to me like it also might be a nice time for reminding yourself of self compassion too. like, this is just where you are, you know, and you're not because I know my mind can often push myself. And if I can't do what I'm pushing myself to do, I go into a whole story around that. So it sounds like just you know, in a way, giving yourself permission of like, wow, 10 pages is the red zone, because that's just where I am right now. And acceptance that 10 pages is really pushing it for you and like fully in, in growth, and maybe even eight pages is, is a little bit better, right before you get overwhelmed and just kind of giving yourself that space and that permission and that kindness and compassion for yourself to be accepting what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. thank you for sharing that. Hi, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I was just wondering if you could <clears throat> say a few words uh, uh, for some of us, like including, I mean, myself first, I'm asking uh, about the generative practices of compassion sitting here and just generating it and not feeling it. Whereas, uh, I mean, like uh, uh, noticing it through the wisdom uh, aspect, going through that part, avenue, and whenever the compassion organically arises, then noticing that and then, you know, stretch that. I've had a hard, I mean, I have a hard time. Uh, I'm working on it. 
to generate it. So uh, where I go as to the other avenues, and I can notice it, it you know, it, it, it does arise, definitely, but not through the generative practices. Okay, and sometimes different things work for different people, like the practice that we did was, I always call the first step kind of priming it with the people that are easy, and then you get that felt sense. For some people, the phrases also really work. Like for some people, they can do it without kind of thinking the phrases, just really trying to extend that warmth that they feel in that somatic experience to first the neutral person and then the difficult person. And a lot of people say that they find the phrases really help, even if it feels like just the words, like even if you're not feeling the somatic feeling, there's something about the training of even doing it cognitively through the phrases that a lot of people find over time will lead to a felt sense. Like they might not have the felt sense initially and they might feel like, oh, it's just words, it's just words, it's just words, but kind of trusting the process and trusting the practice. I just find that we shortchange the power of even the willingness to engage. Like that's huge. Like just even being willing to do it, even if you're sitting there on your cushion, you're not feeling a thing. You feel like your heart's just this hard rock in your chest. Like you're just not feeling it's generating. But I had a I had I had a teacher once, a Tibetan teacher, and he had this wonderful kind of metaphor. And he said, "Meditation practice is like." pouring your mind through a sieve and you just pour your mind through over and over and over again. And every time you do, it just filters out more of the disturbing emotions, more of the obstacles, more of the, you know, things that's and And I love that because it kind of shows, yeah, you just trust the practice and just keep doing it even when you don't feel so much of a subjective feeling, but you just you know, these practices have been working for 2,500 years for people. And, and, and then you might have a big breakthrough like I did with my sister-in-law, just brick wall, brick wall, literally for years. And then, but the practice had been working on some level that I wasn't aware of even during all of that time, right? So just, just kind of trusting the methods and then you might notice something that surprises you over time. Yeah, thank you, Ellie. Yeah. All right, well, it looks like we're up to our time and let's just dedicate the positive energy, just taking a moment to reflect on all of the positive energy that we've generated collectively here in this space, thinking about compassion, discussing compassion, meditating on compassion, really challenging ourselves to extend our compassion beyond the range of just the ones that feel easy for us. And may the positive energy of all of our You have just listened to a recording from Inside LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. There'll be no being left out of our field of compassion, dedicating all the positive energy towards that goal. Thank you all so much for letting me join you this morning for your regular Sunday morning sit. And thanks, 
Casey for inviting me. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.